Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrilow, and I have another great guest lined up for you today, and it's someone I think you're really going to love. But before we enjoy a deep conversation together, I want to remind you why we're here. Now, this podcast, as you know, is about change and transformation, but we're not talking about just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity for all. We want to encourage you to think a little wider about your own life from your personal and your professional development to also ask the question, how can I make a meaningful impact with my life? It's time for us to find a way to live in resonance with each other and all living things. And at Sacred Changemakers, we're here to help to build the foundations of a more equitable, loving and resonant world. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Sometimes we're going to be interviewing change makers, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. But first, a word to our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by our sister company, Coaches Business School, who exist for one reason only, to help coaches fulfill their potential so they can live a meaningful life and grow their business in a way that is profitable, predictable, and purpose-driven. These are rare humans who have a deep purpose and calling to make a difference, and we help them make a greater impact. If that sounds like something you would be interested in, you can find out more information at coachesbusinessschool.com. Our guest then today on the podcast is Sal Sylvester. Now, Sal is an industry thought leader, an innovator, and internationally sought after executive coach and leadership development trainer. He is a blogger, keynote speaker, and author. Working with teams and leaders is Sal's passion. His unique perspective has been nurtured through his experience over the past 25 years as an army officer, an executive at Accenture, and as founder of 512 Solutions and developer of Coachmetrics, a coaching software platform that measures behavioral change. And the title of our conversation today is a really good one. It's Leading with Deep Humanity. So welcome, Sal. Great to have you here. Thank you, Jane. I am thrilled to be connected with you today. Oh, me too. I can't wait to see where our conversation leads us today, my friend. It should, it should be fun, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so let me ask you, because our listeners have just heard your professional bio, and I'd love them to get some insights about you know, the real-life human that lies behind that. So mm. tell us a little bit, bit about him. Who's he? Who is he? Oh, it's such a great question. I am a husband to Rachel, a father to an eight-year-old Eli and five-year-old Max. I am an adventurer, an explorer, passionate, passionate about people, passionate about work. I am imperfect and have my own coach. You have coached me in the past. You know that. Constantly working on where I can get better. And, you know, Jane, I'm just, I'm mostly just driven by, I, I love your words around purpose, because I'm mostly just driven by having a meaningful life. As you mentioned, I, I do, my organization does a lot of executive coaching, and I, I don't actually want the life of my clients. And that was 
that was something that hit me maybe four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I am just on a mission to create a meaningful life that's filled with purpose and recognizing that it's a journey and, and I'm always learning and, um, and perfection is just not, it's just not the right goal. Mm. Wow. You said something there, Sal, that really kind of was a bit of a gut punch to me when you said it, you said, I don't want to live the life of my clients. That's quite a statement to make. So what do you mean by that? Mm. Many of my clients, um, they are so driven about work and that's great. That should be part of who people are, but it should not be their whole person. And their identities in many ways are almost entirely based on their job title and what they do for the organization that they work for. So that's one. And then I think the second is there's also an element of um, they are so attached to the corporate environment that they forget about everything else that's around them. They forget about their family, their health and well-being, their mental wellness, um, all of the other things that are so much a part of who we are as human beings. And, and then I think the third piece is in so many of our coaching conversations, we talk with clients about when I'm done with this job, I'm going to go and do something else that's more meaningful and will make a bigger impact. And the conversation for me almost always goes to, well, how can you leverage your life and your platform today to make that impact. So I, I just want more for myself and my, my family and my life than just work. Mm. That really makes sense to me. Um, and it's something that, you know, I've noticed too with my clients. And I think that was why it was a gut punch for me, because I don't know that I've ever thought of it in quite that way, but I would say that's a real truism for me. Mm. And I, I think for many people who have worked at some point, I've got a number of clients that have worked in corporate life and they call themselves escapees <laughs> in mm. a way, because they've yeah. kind of turned their back on that kind of life to really try and create more meaning for themselves in their life. So, you know, how have you done that, you know, in terms of your life and where you are today, what is it that you value? Yeah, well, I might, I might just go back one second because mm. part of what prompted that whole notion that I actually don't want the life of my clients, not every client, I have some amazing clients that actually are leading very purposeful and very mission-driven lives where there is a nice work-life integration. So yeah. that exists out there, but for most of our clients, it's not the case. But what I started noticing about myself is I started comparing myself to them. And as you know, Jane, comparison can be, it can just be so detrimental to people, to their mm. well-being. It creates competition. It creates division as opposed to um, I'm just thinking differently about it. And so as I was comparing myself to them, I realized that what I was mostly comparing to them was around the financial side of life. Mm -hmm. And I saw financial success as success and it's part of success, but I, I just don't think that it is entirely 
success. It's a component of it. So yeah, to your question, like, what does that look like for me? I, for me, it started about 20 years ago. And so it's, it's been a journey, it's an evolution and there's still a lot to work on. But when I moved to Boulder, Colorado, it gave me permission as I started to meet different types of people, it gave me permission to say, oh, wait a second. My identity is not defined by my role, my title, and the company that I work for. At the time, I was very proud to work for Accenture, and it's an amazing company, and I had an amazing experience there. But I started to meet entrepreneurs and people that were like sitting in coffee shops at two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, how are they doing this? But they were, just opened up this whole other world of, wait a second, it doesn't always have to look like the corporate look and feel. And so that's what started it. And I started by integrating one of my passions into my work, which is I, I'm passionate about climbing, rock climbing, and I'm passionate about the outdoors. And so I was trying to figure out this model of how do I start with work by doing something that I'm really passionate about? I'm passionate about working with corporate people. I just don't want to work for a corporate employer. And so it eventually led to training, which led to coaching, which led to sort of our blended learning loop methodology that we use. So that was part of it. But then outside of work too, I started integrating my passions into other things that I was doing. I was spent 17 years on the mountain rescue team in Boulder, and that tightly aligned with my passion for climbing, but also my passion for giving back. And mm. I met an incredible woman, Rachel, who you've met as well. And- mm. We just have, we are together architecting the life that we have. We live in the town that we want to live in. We can walk downtown. We can walk to our kids' schools. Um, we eat well. We, you know, generally take care of ourselves well. Um, my son, Eli, just a really kind of funny little story. My eight-year-old son, Eli, was at a skateboarding camp two weeks ago, literally. And he came home super excited. So that weekend him and I went to the skate park and I sat around watching him and I'm like, there's no way I'm sitting on the sidelines while my eight-year-old is at a skate park. So <laughs> I went to a, I went to a local skate shop that afternoon. I bought a skateboard helmet, knee pads, elbow pads, <laughs> wrist guards, and we've been skateboarding together. And it's just, I'm 52 years old. I should not be in a <laughs> skate park. And literally like every time I've been, I've crashed and burned and injured myself. But that's just part of the, to me, that's part of the thrill, not from an adrenaline standpoint, that's probably the wrong word. It's just part of the architecting of a life that's meaningful. Yeah. And I hear a real intentionality in what you're saying there, you know, and, and, and I suppose in some ways it saddens me, and this could just be me and my experience to think that that intentionality in a way is missing for a lot of people. So I love that you've kind of taken that into your own life. And like you say, you're architecting what it means for you in that very intentional way. And, you know, along the way, enabling yourself to, you know, have adventures with your son and different things. So yeah. I love that, Sal. I really do. And I want to Go on. Did you want to say oh, something? I was, I was just, yeah. And, you know, as I listen to myself, it sounds like an amazing life. And it is. I mean, it's it's pretty darn amazing. And it's also not perfect. And I, and I yeah. think that's one of the things that that Rachel and I together have talked about and just said, 
you know what? We're, we're not, we're not going to try to look like this perfect couple. We're not going to try to have this perfect life. We're going to do our best to create what we want to architect what we want. And it's also okay along the way for us to make mistakes and, you know, learn from that and, and just really embrace the idea of it is a journey. It doesn't have to be perfect. So I, I just wanted to say that because it could look perfect, but it, it isn't. And it's not our intent for it to be. Yeah. I think that's really important what you've just said. I think it's really important that our listeners hear that because we're so used to, you know, through media in various different channels, everything being packaged up. And and like you said, in the comparison, you know, it's so easy with social media these days to compare ourselves to the highlights of somebody else's life and think that we're lacking something because of that. Yeah. And yeah. And I, I, for me, Jane, what that brings up, which is really the essence of the work you're doing at Sacred Changemakers, and I think you know some of the work that we're doing well as well, which is around humanity. Yeah. And as we emerge from this post-pandemic or this you know pandemic environment into this post-pandemic era, I, and I you know first of all acknowledge there's been a ton of suffering physically, mentally, and people have struggled in so many ways. It's a historical, we will look back on this as a historical marker in our lives. And there's also so much good that has come out. So I have met more executives, kids. I've seen their bedrooms in the background. I've met Charlie the cat, you know, like all of these very human things that we don't typically think about when we think about that high powered, high level executive or leader. And so that humanity, I think it's so great to see that. I think that's been a blessing of the pandemic. And I hope that business can bring that with them in this next era. Yeah. I, oh, I love what you're saying. It's so aligned to, to my work too. So I'm completely with you there. And, and yes, I think that in many ways where we are now, it's almost like we have an opening to speak Mm. and, and, and appear and embody things in different ways, in more human ways than, than we ever have before. But there is something that's coming up for me as I was listening to you speak there. And, and I'd love to get your sense of what you feel about this, because, you know, it's easy to say, you know, like, let's bring the humanity, say, back into business. And I know that's a conversation I've had with a number of, you know, different change makers that work with corporate organizations. And I think that some of us don't know, in a way, what it means to be human anymore it's almost like we've lost that essence that imperfect sense and I'd love to get your take on you know what you sense about that so yeah yeah I think um we have a model that we describe that I think can help people answer that question but before Mm -hmm. I, I maybe get into that I Cause I think this is, you know, in a way, this is a feeling question that you're asking me. How do I feel about this? Mm. Um, I think it's hard. I think it's, it is, it can be challenging um, because there's an element of vulnerability. We have to slow down in order to just stop 
and think about how do we feel? What's going on with us? What's going on in our relationships at work? And, and again, this is not, not easy. So how do I feel? I think it's, um, it just takes, it takes some intentionality. It takes some vulnerability um, in order to, in order to tap into who we are deeply as humans. And I love your answer because, you know, you're not pretending that you have a neatly packaged up, you know, with a nice little red bow on the top definition of what it means to be human. Because Mm -hmm. I think in many ways, for me, that feels like the old world, you know, almost like pre-pandemic, like where we thought there was one right answer to everything. (laughs) And what we found is there really isn't, you know, there's millions of shades of gray in between. And, and in many ways, we're all responsible for defining that for ourselves, I feel. Mm-hmm. So I, I really love the way you've kept the answer open so that people can either find themselves, you know, or find pieces of themselves in what you said, but also find difference too, which I think is also really important today. Yeah. Yeah. So our title, Leading with Deep Humanity. One of the things that we talk about a lot here on the podcast is the changes that we take a stand for, the transformations that we would like to see in the world. And, you know, I guess our title today kind of points us in the direction for what you're taking a stand for. But I'd love to get your own words around, you know, what is the change, Sal, that you are really rooting for in our world? What might that be? The change that I'm rooting for in the world is that the workplace can be more human. And what I mean by that is that it becomes a place where people can bring their whole selves to work. By the way, I think this is happening. I think this is I think employees' attitudes and expectations of what they expect from their employers have changed as a result of COVID. Mm -hmm. But imagine that world where people can come in and be themselves and, you know, truly um, not have to be guarded, where they can be vulnerable, where they can say to the people around them, hey, I have this physical or mental health challenge at home or with myself that I need to work through. Can you support me with this? Or I have, you know, Charlie, the cat needs a pet vet visit. And you, by the way, you met Charlie, the cat on a zoom call we had last month. Like there's this element of just you, you are who you are and you, you are able to bring that to work because I think part of what happens is people bring their brains to work as a result. So there's some really good business value in this, meaning there's more creativity, there's more connection, there's more innovation, there's more opportunity to maybe share some new ideas and bring some new ideas. And I I think we are living in a world where there there is increasing complexity and employers today need people to be able to, to, without the playbook, right, that maybe we would have had either pre-COVID or in other more predictable environments, to be able to experiment and learn and pivot. And it's really hard to do that if people can't take some risk and, and just bring who they are to work. So that's what I take a stand 
for. I just think it's so powerful in business when employees can do that. Yeah. And I know for myself, and I don't know if you've experienced this too, but certainly pre-COVID, there was a, a resistance, I think, to, or I've noticed it quite a bit in a number of organizations, a resistance to that kind of conversation because there's stakeholders, there's profit, you know, we need more of whatever it is that they needed, but it was usually linked to economic value in some way and a, a cynicism that they couldn't mm -hmm. get that without kind of tight controls and almost relating to people or employees in the organization like machines. Now, I know I'm talking at an extreme level here because of course we've got people on the other end of the polarity that are very open and are embracing everything that you say. And I think in a way, that's why I love your, your model, your six C's of the human workplace needs, because it really clarifies there for me how leaders can embrace a different perspective, I think, mm -hmm. and yet still do it in a way that has economic value, which of course is at the top of mind for the most senior executives, definitely. And, and yet finding a place in the organization where everybody can express their own potential, their own value to do that. So I, I'd love you to talk us through the model. And just for our listeners, it, if you want to download Sal's model, it's actually in the show notes. So you can actually download below and actually have a look at the model as um, Sal's going through it and we're talking about it. Because to me, when I looked at this model, Sal, I felt it was a real game changer for organizational mm. life, I really did. And, and I can just imagine how the world of business would change if leaders could bring themselves to fully embrace this kind of a model within their organizational culture. Yeah, well, I think, thank you for saying that, Jane. And yeah, I think it speaks to, it doesn't always have to be just about the economic value. That is critically right. important, right? That's what keeps businesses going and economies going. But there can also be purpose. There can also be impact. There also can be prosperity for all. So to some ways, in some ways that the model aligns. And, and as you mentioned, there's six levels of the model and they're, they're human needs, if you will, but, in, but for the workplace. And so this is, we've started to notice some general trends and patterns across geography, across gender, in terms of what people need. And so if we could meet people's needs, think about what could happen on your teams. Think about what could happen in your organizational culture. And that's what led us to create the model. So the first four levels of the model are what we call the core human workplace needs. They're the needs for connection with people, certainty as a result of safety, contributions being valued, and clarity, people wanna know what and how to be successful. And then the upper two levels of the model are what we call the needs of fulfillment. And when you can really hit these two needs, I think organizations just start seeing a much higher level of engagement and, and that personal and prosperity for not just personal, but for all, for society. And so those levels are challenge and growth and then community impact. So it all starts with connection, which is at the base of the model. and you know, what is this at the deepest level? This is our need to belong. 
and it's our need to feel loved. Now, you know, if you go and tell that to uh, a large corporate CEO, there might be some laughter. They might see it as silly or soft, but I don't think there's anything soft about it because when people feel that need to belong and when people feel like they are loved, they're much more likely in the workplace to take some risk, to engage in the consequential conversations that need to happen, to give each other the benefit of the doubt, to be vulnerable, to speak up when speaking up really matters. So in, in many ways, connection becomes the cornerstone of agility. And there's a big lift on any team when team members feel connected. I think in the last 15, 18 months, what we found generally in most organizations that people have been incredibly efficient and incredibly productive. What's been missing is the connection with people piece. And that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in many ways, this feels to me like, you know, and I love the way you've bridged it into the workplace, but it, it's a primal need that, right. <laughs> isn't it? Surely yes. in life, you yeah. know, for people that are even outside the workplace, that that quality of connection with people is what gives us our ground in life, mm. surely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the quality of our social relationships mm. are so, in, they're incredibly connected to our physical and mental well-being, which is why it's, which is part of the reason why it's at the base of, of this model. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I love how you move into the next thing, which is certainty as a result of safety. So when you say that as a result of safety, is it the connection that gives that certainty that kind of underpins that, that feeling of safety that you're speaking about in the second level? Yeah. When people are not connected with each other, it's really hard to have a sense of psychological safety, mm. right? So psychological safety, and there's a ton of research out on this. Um, a Amy Edmondson, um, is maybe one of the best known um, sort of researchers at Harvard around this topic. Google's done a ton of um, research on this topic as well. But psychological safety is that ability to take some interpersonal risk and be social risk, if you will, and be able to do it in an environment where it's not going to come back and haunt you or mm -hmm. marginalize you. So again, what does that mean? People in the workplace, it means being able to express differences of opinions, being able to make a decision in the face of conflicting information, asking for cross-functional help, admitting a mistake, making an apology. That, that element of safety is so core to being able to bring your whole self to work. If you don't feel safe psychologically, there's no way you can, um, it's just really hard to be effective. There's also a physical safety component to this. And before COVID, I would have said when people, you know, this is the physical safety side of things are really for organizations like manufacturing organizations, or maybe a laboratory at a biotech company. But now with COVID, I think there's an element of physical safety that has impacted every business. So the physical safety component has to be there as well for people to feel that sense of certainty but mostly we're referring to the psychological safety that needs to happen on teams and in the organizational culture. You know, in this second level that you're talking about, 
what I'm realizing is there's almost an irony here for me as, as I'm listening to you talk, which is that, you know, swimming around us right now, I, I don't know that we have have ever experienced as a human race, the levels of uncertainty that we're dealing with now, you know, and I know like we've talked about the world for many years as being like a VUCA world. Um, and, and so that uncertainty has always been a threat for, for leaders and, and, you know, people working in organizations and people in their lives. But it almost feels to me like just those two levels that you've talked about, the connection with people, the psychological and physical safety that gives that kind of certainty internally for people almost enables them to be like, um, I suppose the easiest metaphor is the eye of the storm, which is that, that quiet place in the middle of any storm that's very silent and calm and grounded while all around the center, you know, it's kind of like swirling with uncertainty and volatility and discomfort and, you know, really not knowing you know, because for leaders today and, um, you know, there's, there's a big piece in leadership today where we don't know, we can't be certain of any like step forward necessary that we make. But if we have that internal and psychological and physical certainty, I think it enables us to have the confidence to lead well anyway. I mean, what would you say about that? Yeah, well, I, it's just, it's beautiful the way you described that. And yes, I, I agree 100%. We are living in a world that is moving faster than ever, is more and more complex. And um, in a way, we just have to get more and more comfortable with the uncomfortable, with the uncertainty. And so, yeah, I think if we feel connected with the people around us, Right, we know that they've got our back. We they know we know that um, they will give us the benefit of the doubt. And if we have an environment where we can take risk, which we will have to do in order to get through the uncertainty and complexity of our world, then it does enable us to be in the center of the storm or the eye of the storm and be able to move with maybe a little bit less tension or with a little bit more ease so that we can move forward on whatever mission it is that we have in life. And I'd also add to that, without those two like levels that you've just talked about, I would say it's nigh on impossible to actually do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know that you can lead in the absence of those two things. Not well. <laughs> Anyway. Not well. There's, there is, you're exactly right. There is, there, there are liabilities that show up yeah. in the absence of those. So, you know, I don't know, Jane, maybe, you know, we could probably take some recent political figures here mm. in the United States if we wanted to mm. and, um, and have a really deep, deep conversation <laughs> around whether those two facets showed up in, in their right. leadership. And right. so I would say there are a number of people that are appearingly successful that actually don't embrace what we've just talked about, right. but they've achieved enormous amounts of financial wealth and power, but there is so much liability that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also question how sustainable that is in 
what I see particularly as the the world um, and and the business world and the leadership world that is emerging now. Yes. Because yeah. I think, you know, customers, clients, just people in general are demanding a lot more from their leaders and their organizations and their, you know, the, the people that they just buy from than they ever have before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I suspect at some point without those two things in place, the, there will be a fall for, from grace in a way for a, yeah. a number of leaders that, that don't get this yet. That's how I feel. I feel that yeah. strongly about it, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to the next one, because then you're talking about, is it contributions that are valued? So it's not just contributions. You're actually saying they need to be valued too. So what does that mean? Yeah. At the end of the day, people want to leave work or you know whatever organization they're part of and know that they matter. That's the essence of this. They, they want to know that their contributions are seen, that they're appreciated. They want to know that they've been heard, that their voice matters. It's no wonder that organizations today are so focused on inclusion. Like this is a really critical need that people have. Yeah. And um, I, I, we're in the process on, on uh, my interview, I'm sorry, on my, on my podcast, Jane, of interviewing some top chief human resource officers across global organizations. And inevitably, they all talk about the importance of inclusion. And so this is really about feeling valued, feeling heard, being recognized. And again, at the end of the day, feeling like what you do matters in this world and at work or wherever it is that you spend spend your time. And I'd love you to speak to how much of a change do you believe that is for organizations? And I know I'm asking you kind of like a general question here, but I I just like to get your sense of it because I know you've worked with some some top brands and some big organizations worldwide. So I'd love to get your sense of, you know, how big a leap is that this level for people? That's a, it's a great question. I I think it really varies by culture. Um, and if it and even within the culture, probably by individual leader and how they they treat their teams and their people. Um, I was recently talking to um, a corporate client, twelve thousand person company, and what she was telling me is that she had this beautiful theme around um, the way that people were treated by employers during COVID will directly impact the level of loyalty and the amount of attrition that they will now start to see as we move into this post-pandemic era. And so we're, you know, we're seeing this tsunami of attrition in organizations as the economy opens back up. Hmm. But this organization strongly valued their people. And so there were things like helping their employees meet childcare needs or needs with their, you know, maybe an elderly person you were taking care of at home. Uh, they gave people bonuses, recognizing that there were some incremental costs that they were incurring from by working from home. And for people that didn't need it, they encouraged their people to give it to someone who needed help outside of the organization. So there's an element here of like really deeply valuing people 
And so some organizations are making just an incredible effort here and are, and it's not a huge lift for them. And others are so far from, from, from this piece. Uh, and it's not uncommon for me to hear, and I'm sure you've heard this too, you know, why should I recognize my people? And almost inevitably what comes out of a leader's mouth next is that's what they get paid for. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a disconnection here. So I think it is across the spectrum and um, some organizations are doing it really well. It's just ingrained in who they are and their culture and other organizations don't value this at all. Mm-hmm. What, what I would say is what I've found in my work with individuals is, you know, I think we each, each of us individually might value some of these needs more than others. Some may have a stronger need to be recognized and, and feel valued where others may have less of a need. I think it's still a core need for everyone. I, I'll never forget a coaching session that I was in with a really highly dominant leader who ran this 1500 person manufacturing facility. And I spent 18 months with him. And at about month 12, month 14, his frustration and um, feeling of being marginalized after giving his soul to his company was just so evident. And he, he just wanted a little bit of acknowledgement, a little bit of recognition actually doesn't take much to make this lift. Mm -hmm. And even the most highly dominant, arrogant person has this need at some level. I guarantee it. Right. And, you know, as you you were describing that experience with that leader, I think one of the disconnects that a lot of leaders don't realize when they say, you know, well, that's, you know, people are being paid to do the job that they're doing then what they don't realize is that when they have that attitude, it, it's pervasive throughout the organization. And therefore, mm-hmm. employees will just do their job because that's what they believe they're there to do. Just do what right. they're being paid for and no more. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you end up with an organization where individuals and leaders are not fulfilling their individual potential And therefore, how can the organization be fulfilling its collective potential? Because Mm -hmm. there's so much untapped potential within Mm -hmm. the organization that's been kind of emerged out of this almost flippant remark that can come out. But it's like the water cooler conversations. Everybody knows it, even though it's not spoken out loud every day. So um, really, really valuable and important that and I loved it when you said that it's not as big a leap as people think it's not that hard to do <laughs> it isn't it's different isn't. It just isn't. <laughs> right exactly and people need it you know that the need might look differently for some than what others want but it just you mentioned the word intentionality earlier yeah. and and to me that's where this comes out loud and clear yeah okay so let's move to the next step and that you've got it as clarity of the what and how. So there's a thing that I often say, so I'm really intrigued to hear about this clarity piece and, and I get it, I think, but um, I sometimes think that clarity is overrated. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. say more about that. That's really cool. Because I think that from the very earliest ages of our education, you know, from school, if you like, right down at Mm -hmm. elementary school, we're taught that 
clarity is everything. We need to be certain of our answers. There is a right answer and a wrong answer to things. And, and so we kind of come up through high school and college and, and into working life and believe that we need clarity before we can kind of move forward or take the next step in a project or a direction that we want to go in in our leadership or take our organization in. We need to almost, it's almost like we feel like we have to have the recipe for success laid out in front of us mm. before we can take step one because we have to be able to say, for example, defend our actions and say, well, yeah, but this is just the first step and this is what we're going to do next and then this and then this. And if I think back in my career, that is how it was in the 1990s. There was a recipe for success. You could kind of follow it and it would kind of work in those, in the, in kind of like the old days. But today where everything is so uncertain, how can that be true? Because we have to continue to lead confidently. We have to continue to step forward. And especially going through things like the pandemic, because how could anybody know? How do, we don't even know now how it's going to play out, really, or where we're headed, or what the consequences are going to be, or anything, really. It's all very uncertain. And I've, I've kind of, I suppose, I don't know whether it's cynical. Sometimes it feels cynical, but... I think clarity can sometimes just be an illusion. Yeah. <laughs> that makes us feel safe. <laughs> yeah, that, there you go. Exactly. It is a place of safety. So let, let's unpack that a little yeah. bit. And, and maybe I'll just share with you what it means in regards to this model. I, yeah. I'm not sure if it's contradictory to what you said, because I, I agree. I think we are living in a world where, you know, in many cases, there just there isn't a playbook. It is not yeah. like the '90s where you could go to an expert or you could go right. to and look what another organization or person did. No one has ever emerged from a pandemic, at least in recent history. In and right. no, there's no playbook to open here. So clarity for us is really about the what and the how, and and the what is around at the highest level things like unifying goals or maybe some key objectives or key results that we're trying to strive for. On a team, it might mean what is our purpose? Why do we exist? Clarity of the how is really about um, how we behave, if you will, in the workplace, what the culture values and maybe what the culture criticizes. And so, we tend to think in terms of things like corporate values or team agreements. What are those, what, what is the fabric of, a, of the culture that this organization stands for? So um, I, I think you're right. Like I, I, it, for us to have clarity over some long period of time, whether it's our individual careers or even in organizational direction is, it, maybe it is just a place of safety. I do think we can have general clarity on direction and clarity might even mean that we don't have clarity. So clarity, I, maybe I can try to give an example. Clarity could mean as an organization is trying to communicate their plans in this post pandemic environment where no one's ever been through this next transition that we're going, going through, clarity might be saying to our people, this is the direction that we're heading and this will change. 
we don't actually know what the answer is, but this is the next step forward. And we're going to learn from this and then we will adjust. And maybe part of the clarity piece is letting people know that things will change and um, there will be more uncertainty. I don't know. What do you, how do you react to that? I, I totally. So, so you see now, as we're getting into like the fourth level, I'm really understanding the title of this model, which is leading with deep humanity, because that's the request here, isn't it? It's the honesty that you just mentioned that. And that's what, what I heard when you were speaking there, you know, giving that example of the organization saying, you know, there's things we know and there's things we don't know. And that's kind of okay. And we're headed in this general direction and things will change. So please know that at the outset, you know, so that to me, and, and I, I was really giggling over here when you said, you know, it's clarity and not clarity at the same time, because right. it's very clear to be unclear <laughs> in right, a way exactly. to say like, okay, we are unclear. So we now need to communicate that with clarity. So I love that because it's, it's, there's a depth to that. There's a depth of awareness to that. And I would even say, Sal, there's a consciousness to that mm. that is not often seen in organizational life. In my experience, although, as you've you know rightly pointed to, and I would agree, it's emerging now in this time. And, and I really hope that leaders around the world will embrace that and run with it because this depth of humanity brings with it a, an honesty and it's like a raw honesty that's so needed i think in many yeah. cultures yeah and i think maybe in the less human environment we would try to go into a time of uncertainty and make everything look like we have the answers mm. and i think the human part of this is acknowledging we don't have the answers. And because of that, I'm giving you more clarity that we don't actually have all the answers. Yeah. And it's so many times when I, I meet young leaders who've been, they've been promoted through the ranks, if you will, and now they find themselves in a senior or executive leadership role. And all of a sudden they have this aha that, oh, the executives actually don't have the answers here. Right. And they just always thought they did. And so I think part of the human side of this is just knowing that um, we can be honest about maybe not having all the clarity that we might like, but we still need to take that next step forward. And we can be clear about what that next step is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I'd love you to talk about the final two uh, levels now. And you called them something at the beginning. Did you say because it's like you separated them from the first four. What did you call them, Sal? These yeah, so these final two are the needs of fulfillment. They're mm. higher level needs in a way. So the, the fifth need, the, the final of those last two, is, is the need for challenge and growth. Mm. And then the top need is, is the need for community impact. And so challenge and growth to me is about always learning, always growing, and I think when people, people start to lose purpose in life, when they don't feel a sense of growth, I think that's really key. Um, and so this is really about um, 
it's it's really about continuing that journey to be challenged, to grow, to try new things. I mentioned the skateboarding earlier. I think part of the reason why I am just thrilled by this experience is because I am a 100% beginner and it is so fun to be a beginner at something again, <laughs> but it just, it motivates people when they have, when they know that they're in a role where they are going to become a better version of themselves because of what they're experiencing and learning. And frankly, with all of this uncertainty and change that just is our world today, there are plenty of opportunities for leaders to tap into finding ways to challenge their people. And I'll make one comment about the final piece, which is the community impact. And I know this is probably pretty close to your heart and to the work that you're doing with sacred, sacred change makers. This is about what is the impact that we are going to have to our community, to our society, to the world, mm -hmm. beyond the widgets that we produce in the workplace. And there are some organizations that are doing amazing work here. Patagonia, as an example, they take a stand when it comes to the environment, as most people know. Um, Columbia Sportswear Company, a client of ours, they took a stand when there were so many immigration issues that were happening under the Trump administration. Salesforce uh, donates 1% of their profits, products, and people's time to um, the community. And I would say that even if your organization doesn't take a stand like some of these and many other great companies do, you can still take a stand and you can find and use your own platform to make a difference with people on your team, with people around you and others in our world and our society. So to me, that's the highest level need. Like when we start tapping into purpose and into making a bigger impact in our community, that's when people feel really good about what they do. Hmm. So our listeners who've been listening to you kind of talking about your model and, you know, they may be thinking about their own leadership, their own organization. And I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate for a minute and say, you know, they might be thinking, gosh, our organization does everything opposite to that, <laughs> which is mm -hmm. why I'm taking, like, what advice would you have for them in terms of starting to kind of, you know, like turn the ship around and, and, and come more in alignment with this kind of an organizational culture? I mean, where do they start, Sal? Yeah, I would say begin with some element that's in your control. Mm. So you might be a team leader with a team of six people. You might run an, an entire function of an organization. You may be a coach that has the opportunity to work with you know, clients in some of these organizations. One, figure out what it is that is in your control and, and hone in on that. You can take a stand on building connection with people with your relationships, whether it's with your direct reports or whether it's with your coaching client. You can take a stand on creating psychological safety in your relationships. So regardless of what the organization thinks, there is opportunity to make a bigger difference. And I will say this, people will notice. I, I, I always come back to this, Jane, which is I, my father always comes up for me mm. here, which is I, I grew up, um, and I would say probably lower middle-class um, household. My father worked extremely hard his entire life. And inevitably, 
part of the topic around our dinner table conversation was about the old man. And the old man, in the context for my dad, was his boss. It was the guy who owned the construction company uh, for which my dad worked. And so what I want people to know is that what you do matters. And what you do, especially if you're in some leadership role, whether it's in a corporate world or whether you are leading a coaching practice, guarantee you are frequently the topic of dinner table conversation. So you can't make a difference one, one conversation at a time. Oh, that just makes it come so alive <laughs> for people, mm -hmm. you know, being the topic of conversation at dinner um, is something I think probably most leaders haven't thought about. And mm. um, yeah, that makes a real difference. It really does. And playing devil's advocate again, I'm going to ask you, like, why would organizations want to embrace this model? I mean, what's the business case for doing that? Yeah, I think there's a few things. One is around the complexity of our world today. And so we, we, you and I have alluded to in this conversation that we don't have the answers like maybe we would have in a more predictable environment 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And so the business case is if we create a space where people can engage in these challenging conversations where there might not be an answer or a playbook, we're much more likely to get more innovative and creative ideas. So that's number one. Number two, we have to be able to take risk to experiment and learn from our experiments. Uh, by the way, Amazon is amazing at this. It's part of how they think about their organizational culture, taking risk, experimenting and then coming up with mechanisms based on those experiments people have to feel safe to do that um, and then finally you already alluded to this before i think the younger generation of people are expecting different things from their employers so in the short term if you don't embrace components of this model that's fine but i think five years from now ten years from now as some of the younger people in the workforce start to have bigger impacts in our organizational cultures, these types of um, levels of thinking and needs are going to become more important. So do you want the best talent or not? It's up to you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that really brings it home for people um, in, in, a, in a, a really quite clear way. So underlying all of this model, I suspect, Sal, is a vision for how you would like the workplace to be. Now, and, and if I kind of expand that out, the kind of world that you might like to live in, would you share what that might be for us? Yeah. I think it's a workplace that has a healthy environment, it is aligned, it has more humanity in it. And it's a world where people can find their own personal purpose, make a positive difference and succeed in their own way. I mean, gosh, I feel like I just stole that right from Sacred Change Makers line. That's so <laughs> incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, Imagine a place, imagine a world where we like, where, where we could all be successful, 
and we can define success in our own terms, but where we're living with purpose and we can all find a place of belonging and connection and we can all benefit economically at the same time. Oh, beautifully said. Um, so I'm just noticing the time. So I'm going to ask you one final question, um, which is just simply this. I mean, if there's something that you would like to share with our listeners, some final words of wisdom, maybe to leave them with, what might it be? I might bring up two items, Jane, this just came to me. Yeah. And frankly, it, it's two items that came up in our coaching relationship when, when you were coaching me that have, they've, they've just never left my mind. And one is, one is I'm laughing, I'm giggling because I can still remember I was literally in my parents' basement uh, on a coaching. I was traveling, visiting my parents. And I was in a coaching conversation with you and mm -hmm. there was an element. You, you said something to me that was, it was like, Sal, it's, it's time for you to get out of the basement. And it was, you know, it was really about stepping into something bigger and, and owning the value that I can bring to this world. So that's one step out of the basement people and own who you are and, and, and move toward the life that you want. That's one. And then you said something else to me too, which was, we're always making an impact. The question is, what impact do you want to have? And I think that's a beautiful way to, to think about our day and our month and our, and our year and our life. What impact do we want to have in this world? Oh, I'm just letting that settle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sal. My goodness. I have so enjoyed our conversation today. And I know... I just know our listeners will feel so inspired just listening and have learned so much from you. So thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Okay, guys. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all of the resources and the links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you will need to understand how to build a business that works today. So check out Coaches Business School's unique frameworks and methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps make a meaningful difference in our world hashtag transition team. It's time. Time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love. <laughs>